permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our RPG experience? This season, we're all about Kids on Bikes movies, where kids 18 years of age or younger get themselves into and out of trouble and keep their agency while doing so, usually in a specific location, which is essential to the plot. I'm Rafe, a film critic. And I'm Drew, a gaming enthusiast. And this month, we've been talking about 2011's Attack the Block, and this is our intermission, where we kind of follow up on that, as well as do a couple of other things. Uh, we've had two weeks to think about our discussion on Attack the Block, uh, to listen to those of you out there who had anything to contribute on it. And uh, Drew, what did we miss? Anything that you had wanted to talk about that we missed talking about when we had our conversation? You know, I don't think we really missed anything. Uh, unless you've got something, I actually I've listened to uh, our conversation to see if there was something that I, I kind of felt we missed, and I think you know without going into a really in-depth critique of the film and its cultural relevance because that's not really as <laughs> what we're doing here. That's not a remit. Um, I think the conversation went pretty well. I had fun. I have since watched Attack the Block at least one more time. Uh, I put it on while wrapping early Christmas presents, which really lends itself to an interesting um, holiday cheer uh, in its in its own right. But uh, yeah. Well, we it it's always entertains me. I, always. We've done two episodes so far, but <laughs> we, we tend to record our conversation and then the next hour, hour and a half is, oh, we should have talked about this. Oh, we should have talked about this. And one of the things that you mentioned that we should have talked about is you had an idea for a sequel to Attack the Block that we did not talk about in the episode. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, when this came out in 2011, I think I saw it in 2013, I immediately thought, oh, I mean, this movie does not need a sequel. It, the, the way it ends is very cool. I think it leaves it up to interpretation. It In itself, its ending has a, a really cool sort of... I said really cool too many times. I need another adjective. Um, <laughs> the, the ending is significant, culturally significant. But I can't help but have my mind go at a million miles an hour. It's hard to turn off sometimes. And I remember thinking... All right, how could they make a sequel for this? Well, clearly there there could be more aliens landing in other places. We could see what's happening to the larger world. But what I really wanted to see was what happens next to Moses and Pest and company. And so this script that I'm about to pitch to you cannot happen uh, because it's 10 years later, uh, physically and chronologically, <laughs> 10 years later than the film made and you would have needed to make it as if it was the next day But I, so if the invasion continues uh, Attack the Block 2 would be known as Attack the Cell Block and uh, it would be um, the kids being incarcerated with adults and mm. so we'd have this situation where the, the justice system is truly unfair, the kids get sentenced, I'm thinking like a um, you know quick cut sort of um, who's the guy who does um, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels Guy Ritchie. Snatch? Guy Ritchie. A Guy Ritchie style. Um, actually, I say Guy Ritchie, but you know, you've you've got um, 
Edgar what's Wright. his face? Pretty, Edgar Wright yeah. does the exact same thing. <laughs> that like, was the first you know, one that came to yeah. my mind. <laughs> I, you know what? Skip Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's fantastic. Snatch is a great movie, but it, it is actually very much the Shaun of the Dead um, quick cut action where we see them getting booked. We see them getting in holding cells. And we can see maybe them. maybe a little Simon Pegg cameo in there as the cop who <laughs> books them, <laughs> or or the guy in the cell with them who who got busted for being too um, kind of ebullient on a on a on a um, uh, November fifth evening, a Guy Fox gunpowder plot kind of night, <laughs> who's who's in there and is a little wasted um, in the same way that you've got Nick Frost right in in the weed room. Um, you can see the block still smoking out of their cell window. They're in a holding cell. They're not in jail per se. Um, or maybe it's a couple of days later and they have been taken to not a juvenile facility because something's gone wrong with the juvenile facility. So they put them in an adult penitentiary just for a bit. And that's when the creatures who could still smell it on them, the next wave of creatures come. Mm. But you've got the police who have essentially been harassing them and have wrongfully imprisoned them. Uh, and won't believe them when they try to explain things. You've got the essentially the uh, the prison predators who are, are messing with them, and they have to stick together as a, essentially a group of kids and find each other when everything goes down in the cell block. Um, uh, yeah, no ending. I have no idea what happens after that, but I think, <laughs> but I think there's there was some potential there. But of course, this is something I haven't thought about um, until we discussed it because. I was considering what to do as a sequel to the RPG. So you get your one session in. How could we do it? Maybe a second one shot or a, a second evening. So that's how I would present, if I had a time machine, uh, the sequel to the movie. Or if we were going to do an RPG, that's how I'd, I'd do a sequel to the actual uh, role-playing game. But it's a moot point because... Because it's Hollywood. And so even though you said several times that a sequel isn't necessary, they actually are planning uh, a sequel to Attack the Block. The news broke earlier this year. Uh, Joe Cornish is working on a script. We have no details, no right. information other than there may, assuming it gets approved, be a sequel to Attack the Block that comes out. It'd be foolish of them not to. Um, you know, in 2013, John Boyega is not a, a household name like he is now. So at that time, you've got this young actor who who did a a really incredible job who's just sort of kind of doing smaller projects. But once you're in Star Wars, baby, uh, (laughs) that name recognition, you would be foolish not to do anything, which is kind of crazy, too, because if uh, Joe Cornish is going to be writing and directing, which I assume he would, right? I I can't imagine that cast rallying around anyone's flag other than Joe Cornish's. This would only be Joe Cornish's third uh, feature film because right. there's Attack the Block and then there's The Kid Who Would Be King, a film. Have you seen that one, Kid Who Would I've Be King? not. Well, you might. It's on our list. I know that. For this very podcast, yeah. I know it seems a bit odd to have um, two films by the same dude, but uh, I you know, I'm, I have it. I haven't watched it yet. I'm, I have some – I have some – uh, a little hesitancy with considering that one of the characters in this film is Merlin – which makes me wonder how, uh, even if Merlin's in the form of a child, what what sort of agency that, what kind of message and, and narrative that creates. But you know what? We haven't watched it, so I'm not even going to make a guess on it. That's that's for another time. My biggest concern with a sequel uh, mm-hmm. is John, as you said, when this was made, John Boyega, not a big name. He is now. Will they be able to bring him back? And and 
you know, Jodie Whittaker, much bigger name now. Franz Drama, who plays Dennis, much bigger name now uh, because he yeah. starred in uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got some of these these cast members have gone on to much bigger things. Will they come back for a sequel? Don't know. I mean, I'm not a part of that cast, but it seems like the guy who gave everybody their big break wants to get the gang back together. You it do seems it. really difficult. You know, if the money's there and the funding's there and, and your schedule allows it, I can't see why anyone wouldn't. And Boyega, certainly one of the things that we've learned about during um, the protests is Boyega certainly wants to use use the spotlight to, to kind of move and get the message across politically. So I think you get a good script yeah, uh, that has something to say and is not just you know, jumping on the coattails of an already existing film, but I actually have a good script that has something to say, that has a message to get across that is, you know, in positive Boyega's eyes. I can't imagine that Boyega would turn that down. Yeah, so. no, I agree. All right, what about on the RPG side? Any secondary thoughts? Anything that you want to add on top of what we discussed about last time? You know, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I have been using Attack the Block to be an inspirational point for several modules I might be writing for future gaming sessions. So while I wouldn't say there's any new truths to come across or uh, anything that I would add to the conversation we already had, it is still fresh in the mind. And while Attack the Block in the gaming session, the conversation we had, um, since the last time we've talked, I did manage to get my hands on another game in which the players play as juveniles, uh, you know, 18 years or under, and I picked up a game called Velvet Glove. Mm. Yeah, in it, you you the group plays. It's a 1970s time period game where you are a part of a, members of a girl gang. Um, <laughs> and so you, could, you could almost run this uh, running concurrently with uh, the events of Attack the Block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the ladies on the block, uh, I wouldn't. They don't come across as being members of a gang. But if you did want to do something along those lines, you know, a lot of these combat oriented games are, you know gang games they, they're definitely skewing towards uh male male gang members and that certainly doesn't need to be the case um i've only managed to flip through it a little bit i think it arrived on my doorstep about three or four days ago so um uh it is on the pile of role-playing games that i need to read i've got an 800 pager that's about to arrive in the mail that i'm really excited to jump into that's going to take some time uh but we'll see but yeah, so Velvet Glove, uh, that's by Magpie Games. Um, looks really interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Well, last month when we did our intermission on Goonies, we talked about another uh, related movie in our intermission um, that essentially was a remake of Goonies. And I, I, so I, I, my brain started kind of going towards that. I mean, you're the game guy. I'm the movie guy. So my, my brain really started thinking about related media um, where I could get similar ideas or inspiration along these same lines. So uh, attached to the truths that you mentioned in our oh, main yeah, conversation. Okay. Uh, and, and so I came up with a couple of related media. One uh, was a, a series on Netflix that I had not pulled the trigger on watching. And watching Attack the Block made me finally want to pull the trigger on it. And it is a Korean series because, you know, those are all the rage right now. This came out first. But if you liked... Squid Games, you might want to check out. It's called Sweet Home, and it is definitely far more in the horror genre. But it does have... It's funny, watching this, Drew, it was almost like watching your brain 
at work because the (laughs) things that you talked about as far as establishing your campaign in our last episode, they do in the first episode of this series. You know, really establishing the 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 home and establishing the players, the not just the players, but the supporting characters and who lives uh, in relation to who and and where they live in the building and that kind of thing. And it also establishes the threat, which in this case is monsters, uh, very different than the alien attack and and far gorier. I will say that I, I'm loving it. I have not gotten a chance to to finish it yet, but it got me thinking you know, how, how do I utilize this? I could I could use this as another inspiration for a threat. Because as we said, it, it, the, the truth is that you're protecting your turf. It doesn't have right. to be aliens. It could be, uh, you know, monsters. It could be something else. It could be, uh, you, you didn't pull in Lovecraft enough in that episode. So we'll, we'll say it could be Elder <laughs> Gods. You know, it could be, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I think in my notes, I wrote um, the three threats were the nightmare threat, which can be anything that's supernatural or um, not mundane, the mundane threat, which is something that exists within your home, and then the authority threat, which is uh, a mundane threat that has legal jurisdiction, uh, even if it doesn't have kind of jurisdiction within your turf. So, yeah. And this has that. I mean, it has the mundane threat. It has the supernatural threat. I mean, it's I'm enjoying it. Now, it doesn't really qualify as a kids on bikes product which is why i'm bringing it up in related media it's not something we would spend a full episode on because our main protagonist is 19 yeah and we mean still technically a teenager but yeah yeah i I know but a lot of the characters involved in this are adults it does have several young characters but a lot of the characters involved are adults so it doesn't really qualify as a kids on bike but the idea of Mm. protecting your turf from this threat is still there in there um they have a marked character and it's not really spoiling anything of the series because if you watch the trailer it's in the trailer even but in this case the marked character isn't a target he's a monster or he will he's transforming they have this this i don't want to get into spoilers but they have this mechanic in play that the that the people become infected and will transform into monsters. And he's in this, the middle of this transformation where they're still human, but he's able to use those abilities to help defending the turf. So then you have this whole dynamic of good monsters versus bad monsters. And, you know, is it a threat or how do you deal with that marked character becoming a threat eventually like eventually he's going to become bad and i kind of liked that idea as well like how could you work that into uh an attack the block inspired campaign or or adventure it's it's really cool and, and that trope of the the infect the infection trope right? right where you see it you see it really popular in in zombies right oh no steve has been bitten right. we only have a few minutes amount of time but when you have say let's say a more popular supernatural trope would be something like werewolves where the bite does give you the powers but the power doesn't kick in and we start to see things like hyper aggression extra strength pointed canines and claws extra hair but they're still human and they're getting that moment where they're you know like uh, or or a vampire we see that in vampirism too Uh, i would love what's that (laughs) i said put a pin in that one put a pin in that one yeah yeah i um i love that trope um uh, yeah. We 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 had a game not too long ago. I'd say maybe a, just just before the pandemic, I was playing, and it was a D and D inspired adventure where one of our players got bitten by a werewolf, and I had created a chart um, that 
depending on what they what their next actions were, how much damage they took, they would lose certain abilities but gain certain abilities. Oh, and nice. then it was it was a ticking clock. I said within ninety minutes of actual play time the character would turn on the party. So does this party want to eliminate them? Do they want to try to cure them? Uh, it's a race against time with an infection plot. Um, they were also it was a base under siege because they were in a tower surrounded by wolves. It was oh, good. Nice. It was a fun nice. one. It did not end well for the party, but it was a, a it was a fun adventure. <laughs> well, the other thing that Sweet Home made me think of, and this is present in Attack the Block too, but we didn't really focus on it, is the need for the the game master to re- like focus on the setting. Make sure you're using a lot of descriptive language in establishing the setting, because like Sweet Home is kind of the same thing. It's a slum. It's a it's a projects type thing. Mm-hmm. So really play that up by describing some of the squalor that's available. And you can really, like, you could use that setting in Attack the Block or or here to really build a world for your characters, even though that world is one building. Mm, About five or six years ago, I was working on a a RPG source book, uh, and one of the things that I needed to do was generate a a 100-point random, like a slum generation uh, chart. So nice. if you were going into different environments, you would roll and go, yeah, you know, you, you see rats in the corner or there's a sewer grate that's slightly askew and there's something sticky along the edges of it. You know, that sort of a thing. You know, there's a trash bin, there's something moving. Just so that if you're if you're game master and you are kind of playing on the fly, you could use the charts to help generate ideas, but it didn't have to have – it wasn't a – a, a module map where every time you play it, it was the same thing. And, and I remember really enjoying the almost, oh God, I hate to say it, the ter- poverty tourism of of pulp, <laughs> of the pulp genre. But yeah, that's very cool. And I, I like that idea. And I, I also kind of like the idea that you could generate like a list that um, in the same way that we came up with your who, who are the people in your neighborhood list, what are the dysfunctions you know right something something is always broken in your apartment what is it why won't the super fix it um you know so and so has the same problem what have you two of you done to um take care of that how have you diy'd that situation oh boy i tell you diy fixes for those kind of breakdowns (laughs) in a slum area could be one really good story narrative generation but also give you that ability for improvisational weaponry or equipment. Right, right, right. So that's Sweet Home. Uh, And then the other one I thought of, which gets, it's adjacent, I would say, uh, but you mentioned vampires, is Mm. Let Me In or Let the Right One In, depending on whether you want the original Swedish version or the American remake, which if you're not familiar with the story, is a new person comes to, very similar as far as like kind of squalid housing type thing, but they're a vampire. And they're kids, they're a vampire. In this case, it's not the turf that's under the attack, although you could certainly modify it to make that. But you still, again, have that marked story in play, the strange newcomer who ends up becoming a threat or or maybe an ally. Uh, again, those movies both do a very good job of introducing people and building the relationships between them as far as where they are in the building. And the idea I had about that is, what if the threat that you have attacking the turf is the newcomer. It's someone that the, the the characters have developed a relationship with, and over the course of the story, they discover that that person, whether willingly or not, is the source of the threat. So in this situation, what if Jodie Whittaker was somehow yes. uh, attached to the threat of the creatures? And while we had Moses being the marked one, maybe 
Whitaker has extra knowledge about what's going on. Yeah, right, I, I think right. that's a really cool idea. Or Whitaker, for for instance, if we wanted to go into a Cronenberg-esque sort of like the brood, <laughs> uh, what if Whitaker was somehow generating these creatures in her apartment? I don't know if you've ever watched Cronenberg's The Brood. Um, it's fabulous. I'm I, sure. I am familiar with Let the Right One In. Uh, the book is phenomenal. I have not watched the American version of it, but I, the original is... One of the most true retellings of the the source material I've ever seen. There's there's only one really poignant scene that they leave out in the original movie, and, and rightly so. It's it's really horrifying, and 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 to describe it would give away a major plot twist of the book and the film. So I'm not going to to do that. I will say it's one of those cases where I think the remake, the American remake, because I, I, I've really especially lately gotten tired of American remakes because it's like we don't need to remake it just so it's in a language. Just read the damn subtitles, you know. But I think it builds uh, ultimately a better story in the American remake. You know, I've heard that. And it's funny because the other day I was at a, a used media store and I was picking up movies to watch. Picked up a lot of kids on bikes films, but I also picked up some horror films that I hadn't really seen or I wanted to watch on Blu-ray. And I picked up and then put down Let Me In mm-hmm. a couple of times, which is a bummer. A friend of mine worked on it um, doing the sound design, and I, I always like watching his films just to be able to support him as an artist. But uh, yeah, okay, I'll I'll... See if I can pick it up and, and watch that because I have been in the mood to watch a a moody vampire film, especially after this is you know we're recording this the day after Anne Rice has passed away, uh, an individual who did so much for the vampire genre. Now, not everyone's going to say it was positive for the vampire genre, but definitely <laughs> someone who definitely um, shaped and molded the vampire genre. As someone who played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade in the early '90s and mid '90s. And late 90s and some in the early 2000s, um, you know, it's kind of hard to ignore her contributions to that genre. So, yeah, maybe I'm in the mood for a vampire film. I normally would go with Near Dark, but uh, maybe we'll try something different. Uh, and then if we're going to mention Let Me In and Let the Right One In, I feel like we have to mention one of my all-time favorite cult classics, Troll. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but not Troll 2. No, 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 which has nothing to do with trolls or troll. It. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a whole separate conversation. But Troll, again, it is defending your turf. Although in mm-hmm. this case, uh, in the story's case, the characters are newcomers to that turf. Right. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be the fact. But what I've thought of that's really interesting for doing a, a more Troll-inspired campaign is that the threat comes from within the building, mm. not without of the building. And you could almost do it as like, this would be a, a bigger campaign type idea, uh, which I tend to gravitate towards bigger campaign ideas. I've noticed over a couple of episodes, you tend to, to focus on what can I run in a couple of hours type thing. But I, a, I've, been a, foc- I've been missing conventions quite a bit. And <laughs> I know that a lot of people when they, for instance, if you've never played Kids on Bikes, you know, doing a three hour one shot at a convention is a great way to get interested in it. But once you, you, you and I are in a long running campaign, once we get established as a group, there's nothing better than than spending right. the next you know two to ten years playing. But the idea of running it as a campaign is suddenly each room being transformed becomes kind of its own session, and then the overarching bad guy becomes you know the the big bad of the the big evil. Um, now mm. this, this this might run better as a monster of the week game than a kids on bikes game. You and I um, behind the scenes. 
we're not on the same page as far as Monster of the Week, just in other discussions we've been having, and I need to revisit that. So I don't know. It may not be a good Kids on Bikes, but I could I could still see running it with kids as your protagonists defending their turf, which is what we're talking about this month, you know, those same truths. Yeah, I agree. Um, and one of the great things about combat uh, in any kind of game is, you know, everyone thinks it's combat is dependent on, you know, how the player group is is created and who can do what within the group. And that's part of it. The other is who your opponent is. But the part that I think a lot of people forget about is the environment that they play in. And yeah. I, I, when I want to make a dynamic combat, I'm less inclined to try to change the players or the creatures. I'm far more inclined to give you an interesting environment. And it's something that Attack the Block does on occasion, for instance, when you get the creatures invading an individual apartment, uh, such as the uh, the girls' apartment, you can change things up about what you can find and how the layout is built together, and that ultimately is how the, the kind of film resolves itself. But if you wanted to create a turf in which the players had a chance to change it before the attacks and change it in between the attacks, I think that level of logistics would play in very interestingly so reinforcing certain doors, building your home home alone style traps, and and so forth. But I think that works really well. And then you know certain things you couldn't do. For instance, you get trapped in the basement, and the basement's flooded. That Ooh. environment with a that little bit of you know, say waist deep water, and if your threat potentially could go under the water to attack you. I mean, it could be the same creature in the same way that let, let's say we look at the first Alien film as a haunted house in space. Right. You know, you've got that the Nostromo is a almost like an apartment complex. You can't leave it, you know, right. for different, very different reasons, and the creature's picking you off one by one. But there are ways to make that same threat change and kind of update it. For instance, when we get uh, Alien Resurrection, which I know everyone's got their own opinions about, but there's a scene where, like, the aliens attack the party underwater, and that's, you know, the, that's the same party, same threat. It's just now you've got your environment change, and something like that is... You know, a, a leaky apartment, uh, especially in something like a council state, is not uncommon. It wouldn't be completely out of the ordinary. I think it would work really well. Nice. So anyway, so that's some related media that I've been thinking about that, that I think could contribute some additional inspiration for this kind of a campaign. Yeah, and we wouldn't talk about them otherwise, too. And right. I think that's perfectly right. great to, to bring it up there because, you know, even something like Attack the Block is great, but you know, we can always use more inspiration. That's sort of the whole point of doing this, right? Right, right, right. So we're going to move on from Attack the Block yes. with next month's movie. But before we reveal, or I reveal, ha, 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 what next oh, month's yeah, you're movie. Picking, yeah, yeah what next month's movie is, uh, let's talk about Kickstarter. What has been catching your attention on Kickstarter lately? Well, you know, it, a month ago when we did this, I think there's like eight items that I th were really keeping my attention. And, you know, I ended up backing quite a few of the ones we discussed, especially after we discussed them. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I've been doing I did, with Kickstarter. I did go in on the Kaiju <laughs> Monster Oh, you got Monster Apocalypse. Yes, Fantastic. I did. <laughs> I look forward to playing that with you, my friend. Yes. One of the things that I've been doing with Kickstarter is, of course, you just pay the buck. Um, to be a part of it when you get those updates you can always change that and upgrade it um, and you can add your add-ons and so forth and and I've been finding that money's been tight recently and if I'm going to spend money it's going to be on games and if I'm going to spend money on games I would prefer to support an independent game 
designer, someone who has you know maybe got one project under their belt or maybe a couple. There is one that is fairly well known to the independent, not even independent. Their 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 company is doing pretty good, and I realize I have no idea how to pronounce this. Um, the game is spelled V A E S E N. I've been saying Vasen. Um, I said Vasen. Vasen. So we're, we're in, somewhere makes, in there. Yeah, so Vasen is by the Free League Publishing. Uh, they did Tales from the Loop. They've got the Aliens game. They're one of those companies where I, I feel like I didn't realize they were responsible for quite a few of the games that everyone's been talking about over the last two or three years. So good for them. Certainly we've talked about quite a few of their games. And this new Kickstarter is for their Mythic Britain in Ireland expansion, their source right. book. So Graham Davis wrote it, but the art by Johan uh, Egerkens is phenomenal. It's the same art that they did in the first book. It looks great. The first book won any awards for a, quite a few different aspects of the game. So this ends on the 22nd of December. So you still got nine days as the time we record this. So I'm guessing probably a week by the time this comes out. But it's definitely worth taking a look at. And, and that would be my recommendation, especially if you like that kind of tie-in to real-world mythology. Right, right. Yeah, I've been in a similar boat. Um, In fact, well, yeah, kind of backing a a little less as I'm doing, you know, Christmas shopping for other people Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. It's hard to spend money on myself when I'm supposed to be spending it on others this time of year. Uh, And in addition to that, most of the stuff that I've been backing either ended just recently or is ending in too short a time to bother promoting because it's not going to help them. But I did have one pop up on my radar uh, in the last couple of days, which is Stephen Rhodes Games Volume 2. And I think part of this is because even though I know I won't see it in time, my family gets together at the holidays, you know, not last year, but hopefully this year. (laughs) And um, these are the kinds of games I could see myself playing with my family. These are our card games. Uh, this one, this volume uh, includes Cryptology for Beginners, Living Well is the Best Revenge, and Let's Call the Exorcist the Game. They all look <laughs> really unique, but they look like the kind of game that you probably could learn really quickly and have fun with, you know, your family or, or friends or that kind of thing. So... I haven't backed it yet, but one of the things I do like about this is this is volume two, but if you back it, you can add on volume one and you can back it oh, and cool. just back one or two of the games. You can get all three in a nice slip cover and some extra stuff. And it just kind of strikes me as the kind of games that might not get a ton of play in my house, but when they do, they'd be a lot of fun. You know, I have, I collect board games as well as role-playing games. I just collect gaming in general and Sometimes I will have to take a you know deep breath and go, do I really need to buy five more games? And the answer, of course, is always going to be yes, because even though I'm not playing them all the time, when I find the right group to play the right game, I'm going to play that game. E- even if we play it once or twice, the right. game, that experience of spending an evening enjoying the company of my good friends it's still cheaper than if we had bought a movie ticket and popcorn and candy and stuff like that. So I, I will always support a game over, boy, just about anything. So yeah, those look really good. <laughs> One of the things we didn't have um, is we didn't get any listener feedback. Part of that is I think it's a really busy time of the year. 
Um, also, I neglected to drop this uh, the announcement that this link was happening um, with the last episode in one of our regular groups. So that's on me. Um, and that's fine. If you do have comments about anything we have to say about this episode, you can find us and we'll, we'll talk about that towards the end. I, I nor, you know, last time we had an intermission, we did read some listener feedback, something we always appreciate. Absolutely. We have gotten some really good responses, just not questions. Uh, and that's perfectly okay. Maybe maybe we'll have a better response based off of uh, the next film we talk about. Yeah, and it's time to reveal that. And I got to be honest with you. I came to the table today with two picks. Uh-huh. And originally, I was going to have you roll a die and go odd or even, but you made comments earlier in this episode that made me lean towards one over the other. Oh, okay. So I'm really, I'm very excited because it means uh, this is going to be what I'm going to be watching and obsessing over for the next two weeks. So please, what you got for us? And I think you'll be very happy. Uh, It contains some elements of some stuff we've already seen in the first two movies that we've talked about. Small town, uh, of course, focused around children, kids on bikes type thing, uh, protecting their turf from an external threat and vampires. And vampires. What you what are you bringing we for us? We are going with 1987's The Lost Boys. Ah. <laughs> so, and what's funny is when I saw this on Kids on Bikes list, I was like, I, my brain goes to Robert Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland, and I'm like, this is not a Kids on Bikes movie. But then, yes, it is because it's not about them, especially yeah. Kiefer. He's the threat. Yeah. So Absolutely. you get a little little Corey goodness in here. Uh, you just said a little while ago that you, you maybe you needed to settle down with a good vampire movie. This is one of my favorite vampire movies, and I already have some really good ideas about those truths that we'll discuss. So that is what we will be discussing next month. Oh, I already have I already have my pick for the draft ready. <laughs> <laughs> And I already have my alternate set up when you pick the character that I wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's entirely possible. I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, I can't and won't. So we're going to save that for our discussion of the Lost Boys in two weeks' time. Roughly. I'm going to say roughly two weeks' time. Right. When we do that. All. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we've got Christmas that's going to be coming in between then. So the next episode should be dropping ideally sometime between Christmas and New Year's. That's Correct. a really difficult time. Folks, if you're listening to this and in, and you're wondering like when the episode's going to drop, it might be after New Year's. Just nah, because it'll be it'll be I'm, in between Christmas and New Year's. Okay, good. Well, well assuming I, we can record editing from the editing standpoint, I'm good. But I, it okay. just dawned on me we got to both be able to sit down and record. So yeah, I don't think that should be a problem. I mean, I, I get to watch the Lost Boys. <laughs> oh, oh man! You know the funny thing is I don't even have to do it. Um, but that's fine because I'll still I'll still do it. Oh sure, I'll still do it. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that we could uh, uh, hit end on this episode and hit record and do an episode on Lost Boys. But I want to give it a and review. its soundtrack. Uh, oh God! Yeah, expect a soundtrack snippet in that episode. <laughs> um, I mean, if you like muscled, well-oiled, muscled men playing saxophone in the middle of the. Uh, the Boulevard, then Lost Boys is your film for you. All right, so join us in two weeks for our discussion of Lost Boys. Until then, you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. Uh, you can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Never Say Die Cast. Uh, you just have to ask to join the group, and Drew or I, most likely Drew, will let you in. 
Uh, Drew has figured out a way to automatically accept all applicants, so you don't even have to ask for permission. All you do is click it and you join. So fantastic! Uh, while it is still technically a private group, it doesn't have the requirements to join. That is something I figured out. Good. We are also on Twitter at Never Say Diecast, so you can get join the conversation with us there. Thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and Megan Daly for our show artwork. And remember, even if that stranger who's just moved to the apartment across from Street View turns out to be a threat, never say die. <laughs>